escape pod. 3. May 26, 2005. Today's story, Three Wish Habit, by Jenny Lee Simnir. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely. I haven't mentioned this yet, but I've got a baby son. His name is Alex. He's two months old. Insanely cute kid, as long as he's asleep. Now, they say science fiction is vital literature because it makes you think about the future. But having a baby really makes you think about the future. Last night, my wife and I are driving home from some shindig with relatives of mine, the iPods playing some Elvis Costello thing, and we're talking about what values we want to teach Alex as he's growing up. You know, what to tell him about sex and religion and Santa Claus, which is a simplified form of religion, and how we'll explain some of the spam email he's bound to see when he's five or six. And one of us, I think it was my wife, says, we'll need to teach him that gameplay is more important than good graphics. Yeah. That's really a human relationship manifesto right there, isn't it? Gameplay is more important than graphics. After that, we start getting into it. We'll teach him not to put all his experience points into combat skills. He needs to save some for healing skills. Or, you're more powerful at high levels if you stay in one class than if you multi-class. We started getting off into books and movies. Never start a land war in Asia. Never split up in the haunted house. And then I say, well, you know what the most important lesson to teach our child is, right? And we're at a stoplight, so we both turn back to face the car seat in the back. And we say, in unison, Alex, if somebody asks you if you're a god, you say yes. And today's story is Three Wish Habit by Jannie Lee Simner. It's about a man who really should have watched those after-school specials when he was a kid. Janny has published more than 30 short stories, including appearances in Realms of Fantasy, the Chicks and Chainmail Anthology, and Storyhouse Coffees, which in my opinion is the coolest fiction market you can drink. This particular story comes from the anthology Aladdin, Master of the Lamp, edited by Mike Resnick and published by Daw Books. It's narrated for you today by the inimitable and uncaffeinated Jonathan Sullivan. So everyone close your eyes, unless you're driving, and breathe deeply. It's story time. Three Wish Habit by Janny Lee Simner St. Louis, Saturday night. I cruise the streets in my battered old Plymouth, looking for a fix. Rain falls in thin icy sheets, and the cold gets into my car, penetrates my leather jacket. I shiver as I scan the sidewalks, wishing my heater worked. Wishing I were somewhere warm. But wishing won't make it so. Not yet, anyway. Al is not on his corner. I swing right for another pass around the block. It's too wet and cold to go home alone. And that's what'll happen if I don't make this deal. The streets are almost empty. Only an occasional flash of headlights on the slick pavement. A tall man stands alone at the end of the block, waiting by the bus stop. His long coat brushes the ground and his bald head is open to the wind and rain. Buses always run late in bad weather. I turn right again. The next corner has three people, a young couple holding each other under the street lamp, and another tall man in a gray coat with no hair. Coincidence, right? I keep driving. 
He's on the next corner, too. I slow down for a closer look. With one hand, the man is holding something in his pocket. With the other, he's motioning to me. That does scare me. I hit the pedal and get out of there, tires squealing as I turn right. I'm coming up on Al's corner again. Halfway there, I see the same tall figure, the same glistening head. My instinct is to floor the gas. But I don't like it when people mess with my mind, and that's what this creep's doing. So instead, I hit the brake, screeching to a stop in front of him. I lean across the seat and open the window a crack. What do you want? I ask. The man grins, lips stretching clear across his face. He's taller than I realized, and needs to get on his knees before he's level with the door. His head fills most of the window. A deal, he says. He must be a drug pusher, selling crack or heroin. He can try someone else. Drugs aren't what I'm after. I'm not interested, I say. He leans forward. Al's out today. I'm filling in. He might be telling the truth. Or he might be a cop. What you got, I ask, not committing to anything. The man opens his hand, the one that's been in his pocket all this time. A shiny brass bottle lies there, small in his large palm. A band of flowery, unreadable lettering is etched just beneath the narrow neck. Otherwise, the surface is flawless. No dents, no scratches, no dirt. My hands tremble. My heart pounds so loud I have trouble thinking. That's the real thing he's holding, no doubt about it. He might still be a cop. But I flip into park and roll the window down. The man nods. He leans in the open window, so close I can feel his warm, steamy breath on my face. We both know, now, that I'm going to listen. Three wishes, he says. You interested? I swallow hard. I can't afford three wishes. I had trouble finding the cash for one. But I can't go away empty-handed, either. Anyone who's had a wish would understand. When you wish for something and it comes to you, there's this feeling of power, a rush of blood, a racing of adrenaline. High, dizzy feeling, like you can do anything, anything at all. And the best part is that you can. You can demand something and get it. I can't walk away from that. I stare at the dealer, not having the money to buy what he's offering, not having the strength to turn it down. Three wishes, he says again. Two small, one large. You in? My jaw falls. My whole body feels rubbery, unsteady. No way I can afford a large wish. Even if I took all the money I made in a lifetime and stole some more besides, I doubt I'd have enough. And yet, if I wish right, money might not be a problem. See, wishes come in two sizes. Most are small. A perfect date, a fast car, a thousand dollars cash. Small wishes only last so long. A day, two days, maybe a week. Then they fade until everything's back the way it was. Large wishes, those are the kind you hear about on TV. They're rarer. So rare I don't know anyone who's been offered one, let alone had enough money to buy. I only know what I've seen. A big house up in North Country that appeared overnight. A poor woman who's suddenly paying for her groceries with hundred-dollar bills. A car down in the worst part of the city that's been like new for twelve years, not a scratch on it. It's because of large wishes that wishing's illegal. A car or a house, you can get away with that. But when the vice president disappears, or Detroit goes bankrupt overnight, 
people take notice. I don't need anything that obvious. Just give me a car stuffed with cash, or a credit card that never hits bottom, and I'll be set for life. My head feels light, and my hands twitch open and closed. I wonder what it'd feel like to pull the stopper off that bottle, to wish for something that big. How much, I ask. My throat's so dry I can barely speak. The dealer lays a large, heavy hand on my shoulder. I hear the rain tapping the pavement, hear a car skid along the wet road. Someday, he says, you're going to die. When that happens, I get ten years from you. After that, Allah and the devil can fight for your soul, but I get the first ten years. I shiver, and he tightens his grip. The pieces are falling into place. His deep, inhuman voice, his impossible height, the way he was at every corner. This is no dealer I'm talking to. This is the source of supply, one of the owners of the cartel, a genie. The night is suddenly still. The only sound is the genie's heavy breathing. I can't even hear the rain falling or the rumbling of my engine. Yet I'm cold, so cold I pull my arms around my chest to keep from shaking. What use would a genie have for my soul? It doesn't really matter. If God or the devil gets me in the end, what's ten years? Ten years for a lifetime made sweet by my wish. Maybe I'll set myself up in the Caribbean with a bottomless checking account, or in Hawaii with a new woman in my bed every night of the year. Ten years doing what, I ask, but I've already made up my mind. Ten years doing whatever I tell you. He smiles. You in? Yeah, I say, reaching out a hand. I'm in. The genie nods. Blood pounds in my ears. My heart beats so fast, my chest hurts. He drops the bottle into my hand, and I grip it tightly. The metal is ice cold. I shove it into my pocket, but I don't let go. Ten years, the genie says. Then he steps back from the car and disappears into the darkness. Suddenly I can hear again, the rain tapping the pavement, the wind blowing down the streets, the wail of sirens coming up fast behind me. Shit! Where'd the cops come from? The genie must have set me up. Bastards trying to collect early. I throw the car into drive and floor the gas, tires squealing as I skid away from the curb. With one hand I fumble through my pocket for the bottle, trying to get the stopper loose. A small wish, that's all I need to get out of here. They're close behind, red lights flashing. Sharp, icy winds blow in the open window, roaring as loud as the blood in my ears. I'm sweating in my jacket, sweating in spite of the cold air. The police car disappears from my rearview mirror. I swear, looking wildly about. He's coming up from my left, trying to cut me off. I let go of the bottle and grab the wheel with both hands. I bump his fender. He swerves and I try to pull ahead, but I'm already going as fast as I can. A sweet, burning smell is coming from my engine. My hands are sweating, sliding on the wheel. The police car pulls in front of me, turning lengthwise to block the road. I try to swerve around him, but a second car comes from the other direction, filling the rest of the street. I pull the wheel left, trying to turn around. But my car skids out, over the curb, toward a boarded-up brick apartment. I hit the brake, hard, but I can't slow down quick enough. The building comes up fast on my right. I crash, with an awful sound of crunching metal. I'm thrown forward, steering wheel banging hard against my chest. Pain lashes through my ribs, up my neck. 
glass shatters, raining down on my back. Then everything is still. Outside, the rain softly taps the pavement. My whole body hurts, everything but my legs. I can't feel my legs at all. Breathing sends knives through my chest. I can't see. My thoughts are slow, as if coming through some thick mist. Behind me, I hear car doors open, hear footsteps approach. Another siren wails in the distance. I'm going to die this way, and I hurt too much to care. It would have been nice to have my wish first. It would have been nice to live a few years on my own terms, in a world set up the way I wanted it, the way I told it to be. I touch the lump of the bottle in my pocket. The bottle. Through the mist, I realize that people with large wishes don't have to die. They get to change the rules, set the terms. I reach into my pocket, pain shooting through my shoulder so fast I scream. My fingers touch the cold metal, and I clutch the bottle as tight as I've ever clutched anything. It takes a long time to struggle with the stopper. The footsteps and sirens have stopped, but there's a lot of talking outside, a dull roar of voices. Finally, I pull the stopper loose. I get ready to wish, forming the words carefully in my head. But before I can speak, the car fills with sweet yellow smoke. I hear laughter behind me, feel warm, steamy breath on my neck. I am the servant of the bottle, a thick, familiar voice says. What would you ask of me? He must be here because of the large wish. Genies never hand-deliver small wishes. At least, they never have for me. I try to turn and face him, but pain races through my chest, so sharp and fast my whole body starts shaking. It's a long time before I'm still enough to speak. Take me home. I'm not sure my voice is loud enough to hear. Take me home and fix me up. That's two, he says. One small, one large. He touches my neck with his cold fingers, and the touch is enough to start me shaking again. He whispers in my ear, You still owe me the time, even though you blew the wish. I nod, and the movement turns the pain up a notch, turns it to a white-hot fire raging through my body. I give up and let myself slide into darkness. The fire follows me down a long way before it stops. So does the smell of yellow smoke and the sound of thick, rich laughter. I wake slowly, face down on a smooth, wide mattress. I stretch one arm, then the other, then both my legs. My body aches, and I curse aloud. The genie should have taken care of that. But it's a dull pain, at least a pain I can handle. I turn my head, and my sight is clear. On the table beside the bed is the bottle, stoppered once more. I stand, my feet swinging easily to the floor. Breathing is easy, too, air moving painlessly in and out of my lungs. I'm all right. I'm alive and I'm breathing, and I never, ever want to go through anything like that again. I pick up the bottle. I still have one wish, and I might as well use it. I'll ask for a woman with a warm body and strong arms who can rub the soreness from my muscles. And then I'm kicking the wish habit, kicking it for good. Nothing's worth that much pain. I pull out the stopper, 
No smoke this time, no genie. I get ready to wish, forming the words carefully before I speak. And I feel a familiar rush. My heart starts pumping. Blood races to my head. My hands shake and I almost drop the bottle. I'm going to demand something and I'm going to get it. I feel light and dizzy, like I can take on the whole damn world. I can't give this up. Anyone who's had a wish would understand. I still have the money for Al. Tomorrow, he'll be back on his corner. He has to be. He'll give me something to hold me over. Because I'm going to find that genie, and I'm going to get another big wish. I won't blow it this time. You can be sure of that. This time, I'm going to make it work. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. As always, you can comment on today's show at our website, escape.extraneous.org. We're doing fairly well for ourselves these past couple weeks, but we can always use more listeners. So this week's assignment is for you to help us get the word out. If you're enjoying Escape Pod, tell a friend. If you're not enjoying it, tell an enemy. It's all the same to us. If you're looking for more to hear, check out patiobooks.com for some great novels. Check out Telltale Weekly for the classics. I want to thank Raylan Conley at Raylan.com for contacting me about getting into his market listing even before I was really putting out the market news. We're getting a lot of really great story submissions in now, and our highly trained staff is going through them as fast as they can make out the big words. If you want to be in on that action, go to our website, escape.extraneous.org, and check out our writer's guidelines. Yes, there will be a quiz. Remember, we're a paying market, and we're a listener-supported effort. If you want to keep hearing more of us, find that shiny white PayPal link and think about donating a little to carry us through. It all goes to the writers, 100% of it. Escape Pod is released under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no-derivatives license. Don't try to change us, don't sell us out to the man, but share the love. All other rights are reserved to the story's authors. The music, as always, comes from Dai Kaiju. That's D-A-I-K-A-I-J-U. It's Japanese for Giant Monster. And the music sounds like it's Japanese for Giant Monster. Find them at daikaiju.org. That's it for this week. Next week, we'll bring you totally different words in a totally different order. Until then, have fun. <laughs>